Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. last week basically the premise of week one was to say that sex is good that amen thank you very much there was whoever there was that we just we decided that actually as we looked at scripture we found out that sex and sexuality came before sin it was not designed by hollywood it wasn't something concocted by netflix but it's by something that god created for our joy and for his glory so much so that actually chapter two of the bible opens up with it declaring that male and female he created them And the two became one flesh, and they were naked and felt no shame. Naked and unashamed in page one and two of the Bible. But as we take a deep breath, we just have to look at the trajectory of human uh, history and human nature and the proliferation of pornography, abuse, divorce, betrayal, hiding, fear. And we do realize it doesn't take much rocket science to realize that this precious gift of sex and sexuality has become distorted by sin and has become something really broken in the world that we know it as. But the incredible thing is this, that actually it all started with a choice. In chapter 3 of Genesis, if you just turn over after page 2, finding these two uh, prototype humans, naked and unashamed, and page 3, sin enters the world, and actually it boils down to the fact that Satan comes and offers them a choice to trade the brilliant gift that God has given them and to, to dumb it down, to shrink it down, to take something that was perfectly designed and make a cheap, a quick fix substitution. And we find that actually mankind has been doing that ever since. That this beautiful gift of sexuality has just been shrunk down to the very raw, very small form that we see it today. But I want to tell you, this series, we are wanting to show you that our brokenness and pain and being unfulfilled does not have to be our landing space. The, just the, the incredible thing right here, I want to say it again, that our brokenness, our pain and being unfulfilled does not have to be the place where we finish. Because God's heart is to redeem our sexuality and lead us into freedom into future, and into ultimate fulfillment in Christ himself. And I believe that this evening is going to be an incredible one. So why don't we stand to our feet? We're going to read scripture this, morning, this evening. Book of 1 Peter is where we found in verse, uh, th- uh, chapter 1, verse 13 to 16. I ask you to stand because I'll be honest, tonight I have such excitement in my heart. I've got such energy and enthusiasm to really call us into the thing that God has got for us. In one reason, can I be honest, I'm going to war tonight. And I pray as we stand, our hearts are are alive to say, God, would you do something deep in me? So why don't we look at the screen? It says this, and from the message translation, which says it in quite a cool way. It says this, so roll up your sleeves. You can do that if you want. So roll up your sleeves. Put your mind in gear. Be totally ready to receive the gift that's coming when Jesus arrives. Don't lazily slip back into those old grooves of evil, doing just what you feel like doing. You didn't know any better then. You do now. As obedient children, let yourselves be pulled into a way of life shaped by God's life. A life energetic and blazing with holiness. God said, I am holy. You be holy. Let's pray. Father, this evening I pray that as we lean into your word, would you empower us to make the decision to begin preparing for greater freedom, for bigger futures, and for soul-satisfying fulfillment in you, because you are more than enough for us. And God, thank you for the Springbok victory. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. Why don't you take a seat? 
just as the box went to war, we're going into a greater war this evening. I'm very excited. My sermon this evening is entitled Mind Games. Mind Games. And I want to tell you the reason why I've called it this is actually that by the end of this evening, the next 25, 30 minutes, depending on how energetic you guys are, if you preach this with me, it might be a bit shorter. Otherwise, I'll just have to keep going until you guys get it. You know? Just keep going. But my prayer is that actually by the end of the evening, that we'll see the things that go in our mind, the, 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 the lust and the mind games that we play, the things that we call just mere fantasy. We call just, you know, just typical boys being boys, things that we just think, that our, our, our little games that we play in our heads, things that we think are small. I want to shift and say they actually are not mind games. They're not small, insignificant. But actually, there's something that God wants to bring freedom, power, and purity to. That your mind is a stronghold for the grace of God to flow not for the enemy to destroy. So I want to give us that because actually the beginning of this all is that our sexuality, I believe, start not, starts not with what's under our clothes, but rather what's between our two ears, our mind. Your sexuality, sir, ma'am, does not start just what's, with what's beneath the belt. It actually happens what's up here. And I want to help us improve this this evening. Why do I say that? Well, Scripture says it this way. Proverbs 23 verse 7 says, As a man thinks, so shall he be. As a man thinks, so shall he be. I want to tell you that God is after our hearts, but our hearts are linked to our minds. And if we don't put our minds in gear, we'll drift, drift like a ship untethered, and we'll end up in destruction. So tonight, are you ready to put your minds into gear? Come on, roll up your sleeves. Let's put our minds into gear. Three reasons and three things that will help us put our minds into gear as we go to war this evening. Number one is that I want to tell you the root determines the fruit. The root determines the fruit. Come on. Let me explain what I mean there. That actually the human heart is on, every single human heart is on a search for intimacy and acceptance. Is that, that spell it right? No, everyone's just, I was like, is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. I just looked at the hell He was like looking. Yeah, that's good. I want to say the human heart is on a search for acceptance and intimacy. And every one of us longs at the deepest level to be known and to know. But the problem is that lust is a surrogate lover. Lust will slip in, and it's a pseudo way that will try and sell you a cheap way to get what the human heart is aching for. Lust will get in there and will distort something. And actually, lust and a sexual appetite uncontrolled leads to a total different end, destruction. Do I want to tell you, the root of sin will lead you to destruction. We have to understand that there's a difference between lust versus love. Because if we don't get, bring clarity to this, we'll, clarity to what the difference between lust and love, which is becoming more and more distorted as the years go by, that actually will become easily duped by the enemy. C.S. Lewis, a great theologian and author, wrote this. He said, the desire of love is to give. The desire of lust is to take. And there's a little table that I found helpful just for myself. We throw it up there. This explains the difference between lust and love, that lust is ultimately a taker. Where love is a giver. Lust is selfish. Love is selfless. Lust is all about self and love is all about others. Lust sees objects when love sees a person in the image of God. Lust will ultimately bring insecurity while love brings security. You see, this is the understanding we have to start wrestling here because actually the very root of all sin is actually demanding who's at the center. If you want to know about sin, sin will always will push you to be at the center of your world. So much so that actually these are the sort of the phrases our world has become littered with. My rights. My pleasure. Even the advertising world. Obey your thirst. You owe it to your thirst. Just do it. Satisfy your craving. 
If it feels right, do it. And, and the one that, that is just this pseudo new age phrase, just go with your heart. And it sounds good. It sounds that we've actually become more enlightened and been become more empowered. But actually all it is is just, a, it's just a, a, allowing lust to get in, not just a sexual lust, but on every single sphere to say that you are the ultimate decider in your life. You are the one who's going to establish and determine your happiness. You are in control. And actually, that's just the enemy subtly duping us into a way that's away from love and leaning into lust. I want to tell you, none of us are exempt from this. Because in the Bible, we find a story of a man after God's own heart. A man named David. And this man named David, he gave into lustful temptations that went unchecked. And in, and in his mind, he allowed his mind to wander. And the story, if you read it in the book of Second Samuel, is picks up where this man, this man after God's own heart, gets duped by his desires, what's due him, what's owed him, what feels right to him. He ends up having an affair with a woman called Bathsheba, who's married to another man called Uriah. And in an attempt to cover up his sin of adultery, he ends up taking Uriah and having him murdered. One sin leads to another. And all of you trace all the way back, it begins with just a lustful appetite unchecked. Might sound dramatic, but if you just go read it, it's actually not very far away from many of our lives and many people in history's lives and many celebrities' lives. It's just this thing that starts at the beginning. A trail of devastation follows when we allow a root of lust to go unchecked. Let me say it this way. Sin will always put you at the center. Sin will always start by demanding you to take the rightful place in the middle. But I tell you, it always will lead to smallness and insignificance and ultimately ends in death. The root of sin will lead to the fruit of death. But that moves on to the fact of what about the root of temptation? Let me tell you, the power of all temptation is the prospect that it will make me happier. That's how temptation works. It says, it says, if you do this, you will become happier. You'll be more fulfilled. That's how temptation works. Because no one ever sins out of a sense of duty. I suppose I have to do it. No, no, we always are duped into it. We suck it into this thing called temptation. But here's the amazing thing. Temptation on its own is not sin. But it's the surrender to the sin that it prompts you on that allows it to become sin. Martin Luther says it this way. He says, I can't stop birds flying overhead, but I can keep them from making a nest in my hair. What about 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13? It says this, the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, He will show you a way out so that you can endure. Which seamlessly leads me on to the understanding of this. Well, I'm just setting you guys up. I'm setting you everyone up. The root of sin will lead to death. The root of temptation, if left unchecked, will lead us to lean into, our, into sin. But here's the amazing thing. There's something called the root of the Holy Spirit that trumps all of those. Because here's the amazing thing tonight. As a Christian, you and I are not victims. You are not victims to whatever your mind will lead you towards. Because here's the greatest truth of all, is that we have more authority than we think. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter, and we'll read it now, it says this, it says, you've been given everything you need for life and godliness. He's not left you at a deficit. He's not left you unprotected. And this is the amazing thing. This is huge. Now this is to pull us out of Christianese. Maybe you've been in church for too long. When I say the Holy Spirit, you and I as Christ followers have been given the very Spirit of Jesus. The Spirit of Jesus lives inside of you and I. So this is an amazing thing. The Holy Spirit is, is not a spirit of lust. He's a spirit of love. 
He's not a spirit of weakness. He's a spirit of power. He's not a spirit of helplessness. He's a spirit of self-control. And you've not just been given a partial Holy Spirit. You've been given Him in fullness. A fullness, a down payment, a deposit guaranteeing you of things to come. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. This is your root as Christ follows. And I want to say this evening, the spirit of lust is only going to be defeated by a superior spirit. The spirit of lust will not be defeated by a moralistic crusade. The spirit of lust is, uh, when I, why I say the root, I started saying the root of sin, because the root of lust will lead to death. Let me clear the playing field. If you, can, you think you can mess around with lust, it is a spirit of lust. Parading as a new humanistic way that's actually, it's okay, it's all right for you and I to do. Everyone does it. But actually, it's a spirit of lust, and the spirit of lust will only be defeated by a superior spirit. And there's only one spirit that's superior. His name is the Holy Spirit. And this is our root as Christ scholars. And this is the amazing thing that I want to put in our hearts today is that actually the Holy Spirit doesn't leave the room when we start to get tempted. The Holy Spirit doesn't leave the room when you start to sin even. If it's the Spirit of Jesus, that means He's not afraid of our sin. I think we live with this mentality, you know, I'm starting to sin and the Holy Spirit's like, okay, I'm out of here. Call me when you're done. How long is that going to take? No, no, no. The Holy Spirit's there. We let that either terrify you or bring you freedom. He never leaves you nor forsakes you. He's more robust than you think. He's not afraid of your sin. Jesus told us that he became our sin. But the Holy Spirit now lives inside of you, and he lives inside of you not to, not to keep you, uh, moralistically keep you in check, but he calls, he's our comforter. He's our, guide, our guidance. He's the one who teaches us. But even greater so, he's the one who empowers us. The root inside of you, sir, ma'am, is the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you my story. It began with this fact growing up in church, and being told these two narratives, but the narrative that allowed my ears to hear was a narrative of an all-boys all school friends and just bombardments again and again and advertising again and again. And honestly, for most of my childhood, I lived in quite a sheltered life where sport was the end goal. Just sport, that's it. I didn't think of anything else. Went to sleep dreaming of off drives and square cuts. <laughs> that was me. Until suddenly just the bombardment of the, the voices of my friends. And they started to tell me this lie got in that I allowed to take center stage in my heart. That said this, Gabe, 99% of guys do it and the 1% are liars. And I heard that so much and I thought, that sounds true. It sounds like it could be on a meme. So it must be true. So I started to allow that to take root in my heart. And actually when I allow myself to become the center, the, the voice of the Holy Spirit, I said, just move on over. This thing's going to be, because actually it's natural, it's okay. But I want to tell you that when we give permission to allow the root of sin in our lives to take the seat in our lives, it will lead us to places we don't want to go, and to places we won't have control over. So let me tell you, number one, the root determines the fruit. Firstly, you're not a victim. You have the Holy Spirit inside of you. But secondly, tonight, confession breaks the obsession. Confession is not just a spiritual practice of some bygone era. It is a gift from God for us to receive His grace. It's a gift from God to us. 1 John verse one, chapter 1 verse 89 says this, If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to Him, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. 
if we confess our sins, let me tell you three things confession does very quickly. I know you guys are so hungry for this, so let me tell you. Confession shows our hatred for sin and our love for God. Confession brings sin into the light, stripping it of its secrecy and its power. And finally, confession is the first step in walking in the light. For me, let me unpack what confession looks like in the Christian walk. Because it's something I think that we've put on the side that's for something else. It's almost like that thing that um, Stephen Colbert does on his show that's for fun. You know, he rips off the Catholic vibe. Father, I've sinned. Let me confess my sin. You know, and it's actually, no, this is something scriptural and for you and I and for our freedom. A gift for God for us to walk in our freedom. That there's a statue that I got transfixed with in, uh, in, 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 when I went on a trip to the Congo. And in the center square of the, of the town, there's a massive statue of Joseph Kabila the liberation warrior, the man who set the nation free from its colonial oppressors. And it's this dramatic statue with him standing with arms raised, holding broken chains in his hand. One chain here and one chain there, declaring freedom over the people. And as I started to look at this, I started to realize, as I looked at the, the, the Congo and the financial situation and the poverty and the AIDS epidemic and the corruption, I started to go, Freedom has been declared, but it's not been walked into. Freedom was declared, we're free! But no one was walking into it. And I looked at the statue again, I said, why? Because actually they're reminded all the time of the chains that were broken, but no one has the courage to drop the chains. And I saw, as I saw that, I was like, oh, it's actually not, a, it's not a, a physical representation. That's my heart. That's the heart of humanity. That actually we sing and we declare, Jesus set us free, and we're like, yes! but I'm not letting go of these chains. If you want to know what letting go of chains looks like, it means confessing your sin and bringing it out into the light. That's when you know you really are free. Because he has the amazing thing, James chapter 5 verse 16, it doesn't say confess your sins to God. It says this, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. To one another. This is powerful because actually if we go back to our, our, our main mate Dave, Man after God's own heart, David, in the book of Second Samuel, his story with Bathsheba and killing Uriah and this dramatic story, he's the king of the nation. He covers it all up. It's like, it's one of those Netflix shows like Madam Secretary where they just hide everything. Like, how did they do it? Shout out to Madam Secretary watches. All three of us. Anyway, let's carry on. But it's like this, this great cover up and how did they do it? And David covers it up and he thinks like, I've got away with it. I've got away with it. Fist bumping, I've done it, you know. No one's ever going to find out. Until a guy, Nathan, comes and he prophet and, says, and he does this whole analogy. And he, and he suckers David out. He says, David, actually, you are the guy. I know what you've done. Actually, you've brought God's name into disrepute. What are you going to do? And David, as the king in this moment, he could have just pulled another one. Nathan's throat slit. No one will ever find it. Bury the vice president. You know, that's like one of those sort of things. But I've been watching way too many series. I apologize. But it was one of those situations where David could have duped his way out. He could have made excuses. He could have said, hey, Nathan, you've got the wrong end of the stick. You don't know it. What, how David responded when, the, when, when Nathan said, this thing is wrong in your heart, David. It's disqualifying you for the, from the future, from the freedom, from the fulfillment God's got from you. Man after God's own heart, David's response was powerful. Do you know what he did? He wrote a psalm. Stick with me. Psalm 51 in your Bible. If you go read it. Because under Psalm 51, there's a little, a little asterisk on the top of it. It says this, David writing a psalm after he's been confronted by Nathan. And it says this, sent to the choir master. D 
David, the king of the nation, wrote a psalm confessing his sin, and he sent it to the choir master of the nation. It's a different response to the human response, to our, the, the response of our heart. You know the heart, your response of your heart? Delete that search history. The response of our heart is, let's hide that story. Let's, not, let's delete our messages that we send to people. Let's, quick, please, let's, let's, let's not say what was actually going on in the dark. Let's not confess that relationship that we pushed, allowed to push, push, push the boundaries. Let's not hide those things and no one will ever find out when actually the rate of freedom, the Bible tells us, is counterculture. It says bring into the light. Let me tell you this incredible thing. As David knew something about the power of bringing his weakness into the open. Because scripture tells us when we are weak, he is strong. So many people are wondering why they're not walking in the strength of God. It's because you've been walking your own strength for way too long, sir, man. Let me tell you, in my story, uh, it's probably well known here, but as I gave a license to lust to just grow and fester and fester, never stays small and containable, never stays that thing that you're able just to go and check on a Monday. No, it just grows and grows and grows and grows into something that you cannot control and got myself into a world of pornography and addiction that I just wish that I could go back and, and, and erase the time. I tried my hardest to erase those search histories. And I tried to hide that guilt and that shame and, and cover it up with confidence and humor and jokes. But it was eating away inside of me. And I actually was becoming a smaller and smaller human being on the inside. But I heard the voice, the root of the Holy Spirit that still resided in me saying, Gab, I still have future for you. I still have a future freedom for you. I still have greater fulfillment for you. This, this thing that's masquerading as actually this little outlet of pornography will give me the, the, the freedom I want, will give me the pleasure I seek that always left me despairing and wanting more and saying, God, this, this can't be it. This can't be it. And actually, it got to a stage where actually God said, I felt the, the, the voice of the Lord speak in, internally to me saying, actually, you want a radical future? It demands radical obedience. And that starts with taking this thing. We're going to go public with this. We're not keeping this quiet any longer. And it started on an evening like, the, like this, a Sunday night at a church meeting where I went up. And this is not the, the model. Don't worry. We're not going to have a line going out the room afterwards unless you want that. But I went up to the pastor and I said, I've got something to say. And he gave me the mic for some reason. He did not know what I was going to say. And I got up and I started to confess my pornography addiction to the whole church. I remember my parents sitting in the second row and them sinking in their seats going, we wish we came to the morning meeting. But as tears started to flow, tell you, as I brought this thing into the light, it felt like the, the grip of, of, of the, the hook that had been stuck in my heart that I could not get rid of in my own strength was ripped out of me. Because I want to tell you, confession breaks the obsession. Let me tell you this confession. This incredible thing is for me that actually it's not just a one-time thing. Continual confession and repentance keeps the enemy's claws out of my mind. Continual confession and repentance. And here's the amazing thing. Confession is not a sign of defeat. It's actually a sign of his victory. Because only people who are free, people who know the acceptance of the Father will confess and bring something to the light. Because there's one thing to say sorry when you're caught. There's another thing to come and confess and say, actually, I am still giving, I've got more authority. I'm going to bring this in the light myself. That's what true repentance is. Because you know what? When, I, when we confess, we're saying, you can't touch me, Satan. Because his grace is bigger than my shame. Confession is a continual declaration that we trust his grace, not our shame about the future way of our lives. Secondly, confession breaks the obsession. Finally, this evening, your yes empowers your no. 
before I got married, I was a, a guy who lived at McDonald's. Not actually lived at McDonald's, just relax. I had a house, but I ate food at McDonald's a lot of the time. And uh, it was just, that was the way. You know, on the way home, McDonald's. No, we have, oh, we haven't eaten for about 10 hours. McDonald's. And uh, no, no, no bad thing about, about McDonald's, but that diet will eventually lead to bad things if you're just living on McDonald's. Can I get an amen from anyone? No, no, good, good, thank you. Just making sure. But there was, can I tell you the tough thing was, was that actually I was a guy who could not cook. I wasn't actually earning much. I couldn't get those Woolies microwave meals. So life was tough for me, you know. So McDonald's was the diet of choice. And then I married a girl named Fiona. And can I tell you something? On the way home, when I'm driving past a McDonald's, when I look and I sometimes still look and I go, ooh, a good, uh, good cheese Mac meal would be good now. Eh? A medium cheese Mac meal with the chips and oh, it would be good. Come on. Ooh, that would go down well. But when I drive past and I see that, I tell you, I'll be, I'll dead, be dead honest. It is easy for me to say no and drive straight past McDonald's. Why? Because I know Fiona's cooked me something good at home. I'll be honest. Thank you for that. Ah, oh, for two people. Yeah. She's cooked a good meal. There's a roast chicken in the oven. There's, a, there's, some, incre- there's some incredible healthy meal that's going to be smelling so good. That will be so much greater than a cheap fix of McDonald's. It's a silly story, but I want to tell you this evening that the power of sin is broken. When my thirst for joy and meaning and passion are satisfied by the presence and promises of Christ. Lesser treasures need to be replaced with greater treasures. C.S. Lewis, and this is not on my notes, but he says this. He says that actually it's not that we are people with far too great an appetite. He says that we are actually too easily satisfied. It's not that we've got these raging passions. I don't know how to control them. It's that we've given ourselves to light and momentary and terrible things. His analogy says, you've been drinking out of the toilet. This is the actual understanding for you and I. John Piper says this way, we do not yield to the offer of sandwich meat when we can smell the steak sizzling on the grill. What am I trying to say about this? Is that actually Romans 12 tells us that there's needs to be a rewiring of our minds. It says, be transformed by the renewing or the rewiring of your mind so that you can know the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. But I want to say this evening, rewiring happens not just by what you pull out, but what, by what you pour in. Religion will tell you, stop thinking about it. And they'll last till Wednesday. They'll, they won't sustain you. But what will sustain you is when you start to understand that we have to start saying yes to a greater pleasure. Now I want to say this is no passive exercise. We are at war for our minds. Philippians 4, through all the New Testament, just, it, comes, it, it just screams at us throughout every page. Philippians 4 says this, Fix your thoughts on what is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, and admirable. Keep putting this into practice. It says this, Fix your thoughts. Take your mind and fix them on something that is good, pure, and noble. The scriptures go on and say, set your mind on things above. This is not passive. It's actively putting my thoughts into gear. Another scripture says, put on self-control. You see, this, these scriptures that we read, and I, want, I want to strip away and pull away from us because we're not victims, you and I. This excuse that I don't know what I was thinking. I don't know if you've, there's all those shows, Cheaters, and To Catch a Predator, and all these shows on YouTube. Every time they always go, I don't know what I was thinking. As if, because they, they're allowed, we're victims of our minds. 
We're not victims, sir, ma'am. We've got ability to put on self-control. We've got the power of the Holy Spirit living in us to set our minds, to fix our thoughts on things above. This is who we are. We are Christ followers. And I, I love this. This Now the scripture says, take your thoughts captive. And I want to say it this way, in a gangster way, take your thoughts captive or they'll be holding you hostage. Let me say that again. I don't think that was really good. I worked on it all weekend. Take your thoughts captive or they will hold you hostage. If you are not taking your thoughts captive, I want to say that actually there's no, there's no neutral ground in the kingdom of God. There's either the kingdom of God or the kingdom of darkness. There's no medium ground saying, I'll wait and make my choice later. Sorry, sir, ma'am, there's not that. If you're not taking th- your thoughts captive and making them obedient to Christ, you are allowing your thoughts to go in a different direction. Because there is no neutral gear in the kingdom of God. There's no neutral gear when it comes to our thoughts. Our thought life will always drift that way if we don't take hold of it and put it into gear. And I love that scripture. It says this, take every thought captive, and it finishes by saying, and make it obedient to Christ. This is war language. Let me tell you, Gabe Phillips, when I wake up, still to this day, when I wake up, I have the choice. God ripped lust out of my heart, ripped the internet pornography out of my heart. But every day, can I tell you, I'm not now some monk that has no temptation. Just walking around, just praying, you know, all day. No, no, that's not me. Every day I have to make the choice to take hold of my thought. When a thought comes in my mind, take a thought captive. But religion just says, take it captive. Faith says, make it obedient to Christ thoughts, you will obey Christ. And I want to ask you, what are you feeding your thought life? When I start to read scripture, God starts to do something in my mind. He starts to rewire and do something at a deeper level, things that would just be second nature, because I always will tend to that dodgy thought. I always tend to that, that defeatist attitude. I always just go with my emotions when actually when I take my thoughts captive and apply it to the Word of God, the Word of God starts to ignite the Spirit of God that's living inside of me. It gives the Spirit of God something to work with. My mom wrote this on my wall many years ago. She said, what you, I don't know why, this is, my mom knew obviously what every teenage boy goes through, but she, with faith, said this, what you feed grows, what you starve dies. I think it's, it's, it's preaching loud. Actually, you and I, we've got, we're not just here going with the flow. Can I push us into, put, that scripture says, roll up your sieves, put your mind in gear. Put your thought life into gear. Whatever you're feeding, sir, ma'am, will grow. That should either terrify you or fill you with joy, wherever you're sitting. If you're feeding that thing called lust, it will always grow, and it always grows into something that will destroy. But if you start feeding the, the inner man of, of the spirit inside of you, it will grow and you'll grow into someone who has authority. We land with our mate Dave again. The scripture where he says David goes, commits adultery with Bathsheba, kills her husband Uriah, ends up confessing it. If you rewind to chapter 12, the first line before he goes and commits adultery with Bathsheba, it says this one line, which is underlined in, in, in my Bible and haunted me for many years. It says this, in the springtime, when kings would go to war, David stayed at home. David, the king of the nation. Springtime would come. It was like the start of the new Premier League season. August comes, and the soccer players get ready to play. In the springtime in Israel, when the kings would get out off their, off their holiday and say, it's time to go to war, just the, the, by nature, what kings did, kings led the nations into war. In the springtime, when kings went to war, David said, not for me, boys, I'm staying at home. 
And the ramifications of David staying at home lead to destruction. It all started there. When a king was meant to be fighting, he was sitting down relaxing. What am I trying to say here? Sir, man, can we stop capitulating to mind games when we were created to go to, go to war? The enemy wants to think our battle is against, we just got to defeat the sin and then I'll be okay. When actually God has got an inheritance for sons and daughters to win. But we caught up wrestling this, this inner turmoil, wrestling this, this thing in our mind when God has called us to put to death evil ways and walk into the fullness of inheritance. It's time to go to war. Stop tolerating what you were made to exterminate. This evening, I've got such courage in my heart because of what God's done and doing in me, but also what I read in the scripture again and again. As I turn my eyes from this king named David who, who had a trail of destruction because he did not take control of his thought life in this regard, because he did not allow the root to determine the fruit in the, in the positive way because he waited so long to confess and bring into the light. David led into destruction that disqualified not only him from building the temple, but opened up destruction for Solomon, Rehoboam, and sons and sons and generations for generation afterwards. David's line started to decay because of his sin until it came to one man in his line named Jesus Christ. From the line of David came a man named Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you, that no sin has enough power that the cross of Christ can't break. Let me say it again. No sin has enough power that the cross of Christ can't break. And, the, and this is something I really want to press into our hearts tonight, into every single heart here, is that D, Jesus didn't die for your partial freedom. He didn't die just for your partial freedom, just to be a prisoner of your mind. Somebody who, who's a, a, a Christian who says, I'm a Christian, but this is my secret battle that I'll take to my grave. Jesus did not die for a partial freedom. He died for the penalty of sin, but he also died for the power of sin to be broken. Jesus, When Jesus died, he came and he snapped the bony finger of the law, the accuser of the brethren, who accuses you night and day, saying, you're not worthy, you're not worthy, you fall, fall short. He snapped that finger, but not only that, did he not just stop the accuser? The Bible tells in the book of Colossians, it says this, Eugene Peterson puts it this way, he says, Jesus marched Satan as the conquered does to the conqueror, as the conqueror does to the conquered, naked down the high street. Another version says, Jesus made a public spectacle of the enemy, shaming him on the cross. This is the, the language of the cross. It's not a defeatist language. It's a language that says, actually, your sin can die here today. And resurrection life can leap up. So, man, maybe you've experienced a touch of his power. I want to tell you, God's power wants to invade your mind. So much so that this is what happened. Because of the cross, Jesus tells us this. He says, because of what I did on the cross, you have been given the mind of Christ. You've been given the mind of Christ. Because of what Jesus on the cross, not to be worked for, but as inheritance today. So I want to say this this evening as we land. Freedom is on offer today. It starts though with repentance, dealing with the root, confessing, taking a step of obedience, and then starting a new habit by saying yes to the superior pleasure of Jesus. I land again, appealing to us, appealing to us, don't leave it another day, 
Don't walk with a limp for another day. Don't walk with a, a search history of your life for another day that just cannot be erased. Don't walk with addictions raging in your mind. Don't walk with the guilt of your past beating you up in your mind every single day. Don't wait another day because actually you cannot afford it. This world cannot afford it because sons and daughters need to rise up into authority God has got for them. I want to tell you, sir, ma'am, like Joseph Kabila holding those chains, would you and I let go of them? I hear chains rattling as sons and daughters start to realize that actually Christ Jesus will have the final say, not only of my eternity, but over my mind here today.